What's up, heroes? Welcome to the Producer Life Podcast, episode 73. This week, I had a fascinating talk with Landon Fleury, a music critic turned artist manager. Landon has written over 300 articles for your EDM since 2015, and he also maintains a popular YouTube channel where he conducts reviews and artist interviews. Recently, he's transitioned to Outer Loop Management, where he develops up-and-coming artists including Rob Gasser, Skybreak, and Asora. In this fascinating interview, Landon talks about what it's like to be a writer for your EDM, some of his most memorable interviews, and he shares his thoughts on artist management. But first, cue the intro music. All right, Landon, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. Happy to be here. I, I'm excited. This is the first uh, music critic that I've had on the show, and so I'm, I'm really interested in hearing how this conversation goes. Yeah, I am too. I, I've never, I don't know, I've never really done a, a podcast in this uh, in this vein before, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm interested to see... Uh, what types of questions you're going to ask and how this is going to go, but I'm excited. Always down to do stuff <laughs> I'm, like this. I'm interested in seeing what sort of questions I ask. So uh, no <laughs> pressure. I, I imagine you're, you're used to being on the other side of the, the screen here. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I come from a background of music journalism. I wrote and somewhat still write for your EDM uh, for several years and I've interviewed and or done uh, press pieces on several hundred uh, different uh, music releases in the EDM space. So it's very interesting anytime I'm on the opposite side of things where uh, I'm being treated as a guest or anything. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'm excited about it. All right. So uh, you're being a little modest. I mean, you've, it looks like you've been writing for your EDM since 2015. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I graduated high school in 2015. And um, I, when I was in my senior year of high school, I, I got picked up to basically be an intern uh, for the SoundCloud account of your EDM, uh, there was a guy named Trevor who ran the SoundCloud and he was actually the cousin of the guy who ran your EDM's record label. So the, the guy's cousin was like, Hey, do you want to work for my work for my cousin on the SoundCloud department? And just like a system with reposts and uploads and guest mixes and things like that. So I was like, sure, of course, you know, I was in high school, like what better opportunity was I going to get to get my foot in the door in the music industry? So, um, yeah, that was kind of my start with things and just kind of moved forward from there. I eventually was able to get a, like a writer's account and I was able to do some cool interviews and, um, yeah, it's been a good time. You said something interesting. You said, get your foot in the door. So was this part of your plan back in high school? I mean, not a lot of high school kids know what they want to do uh, going into college. Um, Yeah, I mean, this was pretty late in my high school career. So by that point, I was pretty sure at least the field that I wanted to go into, I had already like 
you know, I think during my junior year, uh, applied for colleges, um, with the goal to go into music. Um, and I didn't really know precisely what I wanted to do in the music industry, but I at least knew that that was a business where, um, I could see myself working long-term. So yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to get my foot in the door and just meet as many people as I could. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. Okay. Awesome. Um, now, so you went to college and you got a degree in music journalism. Is that what you said? So I actually, so I was doing music journalism while I was in college, but my actual degree was in recording arts, which is basically like audio engineering, music production. Um, I took a lot of music theory classes. So it's technically like a fine arts music degree that I got, but, um, toward the end of it, I, uh, I think in my junior year, I took an A&R slash artist management class in college and I realized like, ah, crap, I actually don't really like hanging out in the studio like all day long and listening to the same kick and snare over and over again um, <laughs> for hours and hours. And I actually kind of like, you know, the artist development side of things. Um so yeah, from there I was like, well, at this point it's too late to change my major unless I want to shell out another $30,000 or whatever for school for another year. So I ended up getting a minor in music business. Um, and then I went into artist management, uh, literally weeks after I graduated college. Okay. Awesome. So I, I definitely want to get back to the artist management piece, but, um, let's, focus if we can for your, your EDM for now. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, we'll come back to that, the, uh, management job that you're doing with outer loop. Um, so one of the things that impressed me as I was reading over some of your reviews was really the, you know, the level of detail that you went into. And I'm, I'm sure that music theory background and that producer background and, and your degree played into that. What are some of the things that you look for when you're uh, reviewing music? What's your mm. process? Like when it comes to what music I choose to cover or like what exactly? Uh, I would say both, you know, does, I don't know, does your EDM tell you, Hey, we need you to review this or is it something where you're out there and you're searching for things and, and mostly it's you uncovering music or is it people sending music to you and saying, Hey, would you mind listening to this or some combination of all three? Okay. Yeah. That helps clarify. Um, and that's a good question. I, with your EDM, I was always in a really weird position because like I mentioned before, I got that like internship job. And while I still had that going on, I, um, I actually like got let go of that position, but I still had like a writer's account. So I didn't like technically work for the company anymore, but I was just like, writing interviews and whatnot um <laughs> and like reviewing music and singles that were coming out from different uh djs and producers um your edm really <laughs> like i i did have um matt meadow who's he's an he's an awesome guy he has a podcast as well um he's the editor-in-chief over at your edm he would still like go through my write-ups and approve them and make sure everything looked good and everything but um in reality, I, I had a lot of creative freedom as to what content I could cover. Occasionally, 
Um, there'd be something that Matt specifically would want to cover. And, um, you know, I would just kind of back off and let him do his thing. But um, generally, yeah, I'd, I'd have pretty much total creative freedom over what content I could cover. And generally it ended up being monster cat just because that was kind of my scene. Um, those guys are awesome. I got to connect with a lot of their artists and staff, um, when I was doing that internship. So naturally that kind of flowed into doing reviews of different monster cat tracks. And occasionally I'd cover other types of content just between, uh, meeting different producers and things like that. I'd get to just listen to a lot of fresh music. And if something really caught my ear, then, you know, I'd use some of my free time to um, write pieces and do interviews and things like that. So that's pretty much how it went. Okay. Um, And then when you start listening, you know, there's a difference between listening for, for fun and listening as a, as a critic or, or, you know, as a producer trying to listen to a piece and pick apart, Oh, here's, here's how they process this, or here's how much reverb they added to that. Mm -hmm. Um, What, what do you listen for? And sort of what's your, what's your process for uh, dissecting a track and and then writing about it? Yeah. I mean, Honestly, when it comes down to it, like I said, I had a lot of creative freedom when it came to the type of stuff I was covering. And generally, I would not like covering songs, EPs, or albums that didn't really evoke like a strong feeling in me. Like if I, I I would write about like most of the releases that Monster Cat was putting out, um, Mm -hmm. usually because I had something to talk about because there was history there. But occasionally I'd get like a submission or something and it's just like, like a big room house track or something. And it's like, what am I supposed to say about this song? Like, like, sure. It's cool. And it'll work well at like Tomorrowland or, you know, whatever other festival this type of track is designed for. But like, can I really say anything that deep about it? Probably not. So I usually Mm -hmm. like talking about more complex releases, um, types of, um, tracks that would explore different avenues and genres a little bit more. Um, you know, whether that be like funk and like future bass or like dubstep and electro or, you know, if it's got a mix of different things going on, um, that just kind of tingle my ear a little bit and, you know, make me think a little bit deeper about what went into the track. Those are the types of things that would, uh, kind of, catch me and make me think, Oh, this would be a cool track to write about. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what goes into it. I, I mean, like I said, I went to college for recording arts, but when I analyze the music, it's less about like specific production techniques and more about just like the ideas that are going on. Um, I'd be much more impressed by a producer just you know, kind of making a hodgepodge of different genres that wouldn't normally make sense together and might not have like the cleanest kick or uh, like the coolest hi-hat or whatever. Um, That's not something that I necessarily really pay attention to. I'm much more interested in a producer, you know, thinking outside the box and trying to put things together that you normally wouldn't picture together. Yeah. And what you're saying kind of makes sense that you wouldn't 
dissect things from a technical aspect because the audience that reads your EDM, I, I think, is mostly people that appreciate the music and not necessarily producers that are looking for technical tips and advice. Is that is that fair? Is that accurate? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's fair. Okay. Um, the other thing that was interesting to me, you know, you did a lot of a lot of EP and single and album reviews on there. I, th- I think you've got like twenty five pages of reviews. You know, I was kind of <laughs> clicking back trying to find the beginning, and I I finally oh, gave yeah. up. I just clicked first. You know, yeah. um, you've done you've written a lot for them. Um, one one of the other things that you did a lot of was interviews. So, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any particular interviews that stand out in your mind as especially memorable? Yeah, I, one of my very first interviews, I was I was still in so I'm I'm from Maine originally. Um I'm from New England and mm-hmm. uh it, New England is a very like not EDM conscious area. Um I think they just started kind of picking back up recently, but until I was in like late high school, there were really no like raves or any kind of events happening over there. But uh when I was in my senior year, like right after I started writing for your EDM, the chain smokers were coming through. And this was before closer. This was before, uh, whatever other future bass song, uh, roses. Um, it was, it was after selfie. So they had like enough notoriety to be touring, but, um, they, they weren't like huge at that point. So they came through, um, and Sean Frank, who, is like a house music producer. He does like future house. He ended up actually becoming a co-producer on closer, um, after that point, but I got to interview him. Um, long story short, I was just like in love with his style of house. Um, it was like right when future house was popping off and, um, he just had like a really refreshing sound compared to like a lot of the other future house that I was hearing, you know, as a trend there, there, there's a certain threshold uh, and it it just stops becoming interesting after a point, but I really liked his style. Um, So I got to interview him and that was really cool. Alex from the chain smokers popped in at one point and like interjected. So you'll see like my third or fourth article on the site is like a Sean Frank interview with like little bits from the chain smokers scattered throughout. So that's probably like my favorite memory of those. Um, I did do a lot of really cool interviews um, on my YouTube channel that I probably wouldn't have been able to do if not through my connects with your EDM. I did one that I really loved with Dion Timmer on my YouTube channel where we kind of went through and dissected his uh, Textasy EP, which was like his first, um, his first kind of attempt to delve into house music and uh, you know, different spheres beyond like bro step and I also got to do an interview with C418, who did the music for Minecraft um, on my YouTube channel. And we got to talk about one of his albums. And that was um, probably like one of the coolest experiences of my life, just because I had listened to so much of his music. I was I was a big Minecraft nerd. So like um, <laughs> I, was, I was listening to his stuff all the time, even like on my YouTube channel. I used to do Minecraft videos before I did uh, music. So it was really cool to have him on. And yeah, those those are really the, the few that are sticking out to me. I also did an interview with Alan Walker, um, like right as there was a lot of controversy surrounding like 
people were saying like, oh, this guy's like ghost produced. He did, he did a like breakdown video of one of his tracks and he just sounded like he didn't know what he was talking about. So I think his team invited me, um, to like interview him to kind of clear the air, but like we, we had a great interview, but I just really didn't like how the answers came out. The, the answers were kind of short and, um, I just didn't see it translating super well into an article so i like never release that and maybe someday i'll release the audio or something maybe i'll release the audio as an nft (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah yeah well maybe we'll maybe we'll circle back to nfts that's certainly a hot topic um so so i'm curious from a personal perspective what, what do you do to prepare for an interview what are your tricks of the trade yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just familiar familiarizing yourself with the artist discography, um, understanding or at least trying to understand what like sound they're going for, their aesthetic, um, and then just coming up with interesting questions. I usually cut. I mean, you're you're an interviewer yourself, so you probably understand this, but um, just trying to come up with a slew of different questions that cover different areas. Like what collaborators are you working with? Any up and coming producers you'd like to shout out? Um, Are you, do you have any plans to like write an album in the future? Obviously like I'm a huge album buff. So uh, I'd always ask that. Um, Yeah. Things like that. Just it's, it goes, it kind of varies from artist to artist. Um, But yeah. Okay. Do your homework. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you mentioned your YouTube, YouTube channel and you've, you've been on YouTube for, I think 10 years now. So, uh, congratulations. That's a, that's a long well, thank run. You. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird. Like knowing that my channel has been uploading videos longer than like most of the people who are, you know, on top of the YouTube charts. It's, it's weird, but yeah. And, and you kind of, cool you were a very early adopter in terms of, of being a music critic on YouTube. Is that, isn't that right? I mean, it's somewhat true. I'm, I'm a very early adopter when it comes to electronic music reviews, for sure. Um, at the point that I started, I don't want to say started my channel because it was way, way before that, but you know, the second half of my channel's life doing electronic music reviews, um, people like, Anthony Fantano and ARTV and Spectrum Pulse. Um, there were probably several other YouTubers with like over a hundred thousand subscribers. Um, so maybe I was an early adopter, but I, I mean, the content wasn't massive or anything like that. Like it's nowhere near as big as it is now, but um, it, it definitely wasn't unheard of at that point. Okay. And, and it seems like you've reinvented your YouTube channel a couple of different times. You've, you've got kind of a breadth of different content on there. Can you talk about the types of things that you post on your YouTube channel? Yeah. I mean, when I first started out my YouTube channel in 2010, I was pretty much like the content that I was into was like Smosh and like Ray William Johnson and those types of YouTubers who were doing like ridiculous skits and, um, stuff like that. So I was kind of trying to follow that. My script writing wasn't amazing. And my, um, you know, my technology wasn't uh, top of the line or anything like that. But it was it was definitely a way to start 
kind of getting my feet wet in the YouTube world. And then eventually um, I got really into Minecraft. Like I mentioned before, I was, I was mm-hmm. a massive Minecraft nerd. So uh, it just naturally transitioned into me doing like video game let's plays, which were usually Minecraft. Um, and between all of that, I do like song mashups and things like that. When I started to really get into dance music around, like 2012, 2013, I'd upload, uh, like DJ mixes and mashups and things like that. And then, you know, eventually that love for electronic music translated into doing music reviews. And I, I kind of got really into this because, um, I was really into this album called worlds by Porter Robinson. I'm, I'm sure everybody mm-hmm. knows it at this point. Um, but, yeah, I was really into that album and a couple months after it came out, you know, and I, I had this almost like religious experience with, with this album. I saw Anthony Fantano's review of it. I was like, Holy crap, this guy is just trashing on this album. Um, and even though like he gave it a fair score, like it, it's not like as controversial as his like Kanye West, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy review or anything like that, where he just, um, completely laid the law down on it but uh yeah i felt i felt kind of weird about it and that was like one of two reviews of that album on youtube and both of them were like mixed or negative so i kind of thought like well i got really into watching these guys and their reviews spectrum pulse artv anthony fantano i would watch their stuff that goes outside of electronic music as well and i was just thinking like there's no dedicated youtube channel that does electronic music reviews um so i was hoping like somebody would do it and then eventually you know toward the beginning of 2015 that same year that i started with your edm um i just decided okay i'm gonna be this guy if nobody else is gonna do it you know i'm gonna do it and um yeah i mean some of my early content, not, not my proudest moments. I wasn't very well versed at that point. Um, and you know, obviously the skills between doing the reviews on YouTube and doing journalism on your EDM kind of worked hand in hand. So as I improved in one Mm -hmm. area, I was kind of improving, um, in the other, but just to start out, yeah, things, things were a little bit rough. And then eventually I uh, got into reviews and, um, you know, somewhere along the line, uh, I think is about two years ago now, I started doing artist management as a job. And that that was kind of rough for me because I was trying to balance doing that, like learning and processing doing a new job, trying to keep up with my content on YouTube, and also working a full-time job that was keeping like the bills paid. Mm-hmm. Um and eventually, yeah, it just got to this really difficult point for me where um, I was having these late nights. Um, I'd be, you know, getting off work at 10 p.m. or whatever, and then I'd be editing a video from like 11 to like 3 or 4 a.m. And then I'd wake up, you know, record a review, go to work. I'd pretty much just be working all the time uh, other than like, five hours of sleep a night or something like that. And yeah, yeah, it just became very difficult. I kind of fell out of love with doing music reviews on YouTube, mostly for the 
editing part of it. Um, I still like doing reviews and like the journalism sense. And um, yeah, I don't think that's ever going to go away because I, I have such an appreciation for people who can, you know, go in and describe um, music at length and in detail. Um, but yeah, at the, at that point, there were so many people doing electronic m- reviews on YouTube, like the wonky angle and naughty step. Um, there's tons of like electronic music ranking channels and things like that. At this point, um, it just got to a point where I felt like my job had been completed. Like I wanted to make a space in youtube for there to be reviews of electronic music and at that point i was just thinking you know like my work is done kind of i'm it's time for me to move on to bigger things and um and i did what i set out to do um so that's that's kind of where that ends and now i i just uploaded a review of the latest porter robinson album uh, i think it was last week yeah um so it and, comes full circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it started with Porter and it ended with Porter. And I'm still planning on doing, I, I've got this kind of like podcast series going on called The Note Block, where I go and play Minecraft with different like EDM producers. So that's kind of come full circle as well. And um, I'm not, like it's not super active right now i'm going to try to get into more of a swing with it um at some point and uh but i'm not in a huge rush to get started so at some point i'm going to get going on that and have more of a standard format with it but um yeah that's that's the future of my youtube channel (laughs) yeah i I thought that was a really clever idea your your note block series because Mm -hmm. so many producers like us are are geeks you know we like twisting knobs and watching flashing lights and playing with software and so a lot of us are gamers and you know so combining the video games that you enjoy anyway and uh you know sort of the the informal interview with two people with a common activity makes makes perfect sense so i I, I wish you luck with that endeavor. Um, k- kind of reminds me of the, um, do you ever watch the YouTube series hot ones? Yeah. Um, I, I haven't actually ever watched a full episode, but it's something that I want to get into because I'm a big hot wings fan. Um, oh, you got to, yeah, I would, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see him bring on somebody that's like a personality that I already am really into. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they they've got a lot of big names and it's very well done and it's mm. it's pretty hysterical watching people choke down uh progressively hotter hot wings while they're trying <laughs> to answer questions. So um but but it gives an activity too while they're talking. So uh yeah. Um it, it also it's it's interesting to me, you know, talking about being geeks and and I say that absolutely affectionately as a as a <laughs> costume DJ, you know, I totally get that. Um I, I thought it was really amusing that um you didn't want to do this interview on May 4th because you thought uh you might be going out doing something geeky, you know. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> most people hold Christmas and Easter and Halloween, but no, no, you got a whole May 4th free. <laughs> oh yeah. I, well, I don't know. I just, I figured there would be something going on and you know, of course there was my wife and I watched through uh, the, the bad batch, uh, the, you know, the series premiere for that. So we did end up being a little busy, but 
yeah, I don't know. I just I just saw May fourth, and I was like, hmm, I'm gonna. I'm going to say no to that date just in case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I totally got it. I, and when you said it, I was like, oh, May 4th, I should have thought of that. So uh, congratulations on getting married, by the way. That was recent, wasn't it? Yeah, I got married in November to the love of my life. Her name's Amanda. Um, yeah, I don't really know how how far to go into that, but I appreciate you your congratulations. Uh, you're you're very welcome. So, um, so you mentioned sort of your new direction is, and 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 also sort of an old direction because in college you mentioned that you you realized you had this love for A and R. Um, you've you've gotten into management with Outer Loop. Um, tell me about that and and what it is that you guys do. Yeah, it's been a really interesting experience. Um, when I was in my junior year, around that same time that I was realizing um, artist management you know, could potentially be a path. I was introduced to this artist, Ace Aura, by uh, my good friend Chime, who was staying over with me uh, in between tour dates um, where I was living just outside of Seattle. So yeah, he showed me Ace Aura's music. I was writing for Your EDM. I did a premiere for this song that I really liked called Intrusion. And I just kept following his music and just seeing how like he kept improving month after month. And I was thinking like, this guy is going to be huge. And like, I want to be his manager because I want to be along for that ride and just use my industry connections to help propel him to the next level. Um, so like literally right when I graduated, um, it might've been days later, I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, I want to be your manager. What would you think about it? Uh, he had to think and pray about it and all kinds of things before um, he eventually said yes. But um, in that process, when I was uh, thinking like, you know, I want to manage this guy, I reached out to Han Kim, who is uh, Chime Harvey's manager. He manages Trivecta. He was managing Fox Stevenson. Um, he works with a ton of different artists. He's OG. Uh, but I reached out to him just for like an interview, not, not like this kind of interview, but, um, a, a little bit more of a casual phone call and was just like, yeah, I'm interested in this Ace Aura guy. What do you think about him? Uh, you know, how do I start in this artist management field? And he gave me some solid advice and like, you know, after I started revealing my starting artist lineup, uh, which was laws ace or a millennial trash uh who was then reflect and villager um he gave me another phone call and he was basically just like hey i think you're a really bright mind in the industry we need more people like you um i think you're gonna do big things so i'd love to have you join like the outer loop team basically um so i was i was kind of freaking out i actually like, I think I might've screamed into a pillow next to me, uh, after <laughs> that conversation, but I was kind of just trying to keep cool and just, you know, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk soon. Uh, yeah, let's yeah, catch I'll think up. About it. I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually like freaking out on the inside, but, um, yeah. So that, that phone call went really well. I, I obviously told my artist clients that we were going to move over and that I was like super excited to work with this team because, 
yeah, they just represent a lot of really amazing talent. And, you know, I was familiar with most of the artists that uh, they were working with. And yeah, so I threw getting hired with Outer Loop, I um, picked up a couple additional clients, including Rob Gasser and Midnight Colt, um, who used to be Michael White. And yeah, it's just been, it's been an interesting ride. Um, You know, every artist has different needs and um, different connections that I've built over the years have helped um, help service all of those different needs. And um, it's just been a really interesting learning experience. I mean, artist management pretty much boils down to um, like taking the business side of things so that the artist can focus on the art, basically. Like okay. uh, why should Asora have to be spending half of his day pitching his music to this label and this label and this label when he could be spending that time working on a new song or, you know, uh, building a relationship with another artist who we might want to collab with at some point. Um, so yeah, just kind of both nurturing that relationship between the manager and the artist and also just taking care of the business side of things really is what it boils down to. There's a lot of different hats within it, but that's probably the easiest way to describe it. How does, um, how does a new artist know when they should start looking for representation? I would say it there, there doesn't really become a point where an artist should be looking for a manager. Um, that might sound like a weird thing to say, but, and, and this goes for booking agents too. You don't really want to like pitch your music to a manager or anything like that because, you know, you want, you want a manager to approach you and be excited about your music um, and want to service you and help you become the next big thing. If you're just hitting up you know, random managers in the scene and, you know, saying I need representation, um, you know, come, come listen to my music. That that's only not only a turnoff, but it's also, um, it's just not really going to help you that much. What you kind of want is, you know, managers like myself, I, I listen to a ton of music. Um, and if I could, I would manage like every artist that I, think has potential. Um, obviously I can't do that. I have to limit myself at some point, but you know, managers listen to a lot of music is basically what I'm saying, whether it's through collaborations with their own artists or like playlists, we're always listening to new stuff. Um, so eventually a manager who likes your stuff is going to find you and realize, oh, this, this kid could be the next big thing. Um, and I want to help make that happen. But in the meantime, to just hold tight, keep perfecting your craft. Um, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to be without a manager. You're not having somebody on your back taking 15 or 20% of your profits. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there, there does become a point where it's, it's helpful, but I think at that point, you'll know because people will be hitting you up and saying, I want to be your manager. Um, so that, that's really what it boils down to. Okay. That that makes sense. Wait for them to come to you and mm-hmm. wait for people that are really passionate is, about your music. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so when you when you start getting approached as a young artist about uh, by different managers, what would you say are some things to look for in a good match? What do you, how would you screen out the good managers from the bad? Yeah, I mean, I've never really been on the other side, so it's that's kind of a hard question, but that's a good question. Um, for one, I'd look for what their history looks like. Are the artists that they are managing or have managed um, successful? Uh, I guess there's there's a very wide metric of what exactly successful means, but you know, if if some guy hits you up and all of his artist clients have like. 200 monthly listeners and they don't have like a cohesive brand or, um, you know, things like that, that just make you kind of think they're not taking it seriously. That would be something that I'd look out for. Um, yeah, just making sure that they have the right skills and connections to actually service you as an artist and make your career kind of, take off to the next level. Um, if they don't have anything to offer you, then, you know, there's no sense in being a manager. If somebody hits you up and they're like, Hey, I've got zero industry connections. And, um, you know, I just graduated high school and I want to be a manager so I can get into nightclubs and, uh, you know, be on the guest list and what, whatever, obviously that's a stretch because nobody's ever going to say that. But if you kind of get that impression, uh, from someone, I would say, you know, sayonara, I'm going to wait for a more professional manager to reach out to me. Also. Yeah. Just like making sure the company that they work for, if it's a company, um, has a good history, like outer loop, they've been around for ages. Um, they used to be more centered around like rock and metal, um, alternative music. And then, you know, there's a new division, newer, I should say it's been around for a while, um, that focuses on dance music. So yeah, just making sure the, the company that's reaching out to you is legitimate and, um, will service your music. Basically that's, that's what it boils down to. Okay. Well, you've talked a little bit about Outer Loop. What what would you say is unique about them aside from their longevity in the industry? What what do they bring to the table that maybe another artist management company doesn't? Yeah, I mean, each each artist management company is going to have different connections, different friendships that they've built over the years. Um, Outer Loop was really attractive to me because a lot of the musicians, a lot of the DJs that they're working with. Um, are centered around melody and maybe this, this isn't a good answer or anything like that, but you know, they, I just know they worked with a lot of um, great musicians and people who I felt like had longevity in the scene because they, they were focusing on more melodic elements, people like, you know, chime, uh, Trinergy, um, Dr. Ozzy got picked up a little bit after, um, I started working there, Trivecta, people like that, um, who, you know, just have a different focus. The, the managers seemed less concerned about like, all right, first and foremost is branding. Uh, we need to make sure you put on a food helmet and, you know, whatever else, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I'm wink, not saying wink. that's the case for everything, but there, there are certain, there are certain management companies that definitely focus first and foremost on branding and then kind of let production sit in the backseat. Whereas I knew 
all the guys on Outer Loop, they might not be absolutely killing it or anything in the branding department, but they have great music. And um, I knew that the team was working to service collaborations and get tours going and things like that. Um, yeah, that's definitely another thing to look out for. Like, are the artists that the management company is representing, like actually touring um, and doing shows other than, you know, backyard barbecue, um, good old fun time in Ohio or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So are, are you starting to plan, are you guys starting to look out to 2021 and planning tours at this point? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of stuff happening for a while, actually. Um, Ace Aura was supposed to have a tour toward the beginning of 2020. You can probably tell where this is going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're wait, supposed wait, to do- drive in rave, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, we were supposed to do a tour with Ulisile and Ominous um, in spring 2020. And we were just starting to get um, the offers in and the clubs were getting back to us about like um, either confirming or not confirming shows. We had this whole like North American tour in the works with those two guys. And um, yeah. And then it was just like at, at the same time, I was also hitting up some different uh, booking agents, which is going to make me sound like a hypocrite because I didn't let the booking agent come to us. Uh, but I was hitting up a couple different booking agents just to, you know, send music over, list out some accomplishments, see if there was any interest in the project. And literally like that same week, I spent l- like an entire day working on a one sheet for Ace Aura that like cohesively wrapped up his entire like artistic image and everything. I worked so hard on it. And it like completely went to waste because the entire country shut down like that same week. Um, And yeah, it was, it just caught me so off guard. Like obviously the whole tour was canceled. Yeah. And yeah, it was just insane. So obviously like that stopped becoming the, the main focus. And we were like, all right, what music are we going to do? What collaborators are we trying to set up with um, that are going to make it so we can survive through this pandemic? And, um, you know, after, after kind of that or during that summer, I moved back to Washington. Sorry, I didn't explain at that time I was living in Idaho, um, Mm -hmm. which for a while actually had no cases, but then of course everything blew up everywhere. Um, But I moved back to Washington and I think it was on a visit down to see my then fiance, now wife, Amanda. Um, I got an email from Jake Bernstein at United Talent. And he, it was just like subject Asora. And then he was just like, hey, I really like Asora. Do you have time to talk? I literally thought it was somebody like pulling my leg. Like I, I thought it was somebody messing with me or like, using a fake account to try to get me to reveal information or something. So I like copied the email or like, you know, what's after the at to make sure that it was a legitimate website. And it took me Mm -hmm. to like the United talent website. So I was like, Holy crap, there's an actual uh, booking agent at UTA who's interested in ASORA. So we got on a call like pretty quickly after that. 
And eventually, you know, the conversation moved to like, what are your plans with Ace Aura? Um, you know, what labels are you pushing toward? Um, what What's your motive? You know, all these all kinds of different things for like future planning. And we got on a call with Jake uh, Hahn, who's my boss, and Steve Gordon, who's one of the OGs and like dance music booking in the US. Um, and yeah, they decided on that call to take on Asaurus. So that was very exciting. And since then, we've gotten to, you know, they, UTA was really, I think, the first booking agency that was doing drive in raves. Um, I think it was one of their clients. Um, I'm trying to remember who he is. It's like that silly guy who hangs out in restaurants and makes really weird songs. Um, hmm. I, I can't believe it's not coming to me, but anyway, I was <laughs> one of their clients who started doing like drive-in shows. And then they started putting Asora on shows with like riot 10 and subtronics. And um, that was really cool because it went from like, the the biggest curse in the world for us to be um you know having our spring tour canceled to like the biggest blessing because we were getting actual like legitimate offers and like solid openings for already established people and doing like actual safe shows at that point so that was really exciting and you know now we're at this stage where we're starting to book some headline club shows for Asora, which was not even really like thinkable at this point last year um yes yeah, so we're doing headlines we're um hopping in on some other tours and openings festivals um and things like that he's doing electric zoo i, I at least i'm pretty sure that's been announced you shouldn't have to bleep that out. Um, <laughs> okay. You can let me know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's been announced because I've had some photographers hit me up about it and I don't, I uh, think they would have if it was okay. not announced. Um, yeah, how would they know? <laughs> Somebody's yeah, exactly. listening to our line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so we got a lot of really cool things going on there um, for Asora because he's already represented by UTA. Skybreak is another artist that I work with and I'm really excited about. Um, he has a bunch of really exciting uh, label stuff happening. Um, I can't say who quite yet, but for example, we just did a, an EP on Disciple and um, you know we've got lots of other really cool things lined up. So I'm kind of just putting some feelers out with different agents and, you know, saying, are you interested in this project? Here's like what our brand looks like. Maybe we can get on an opening for somebody else's tour. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my big thing right now. I'm, I'm very focused on ASOR and Skybreak. Um, and it's, it's been a, it's been a good time. So that's really what's going on in terms of tours. Uh, my other guys, there's not a whole lot going on. Most of them are based outside of the U.S., so they they have to have significantly more following to warrant getting a visa and coming to the U.S. to do a tour. And it's much harder to get a booking agent for somebody who's outside of the U.S. But you know, my I think kind of like what I hinted at earlier. Um, I'm much more concerned about like the production value being there and just them making great music than um, having a crazy killer brand or anything like that. So, you know, we're just plugging away with releases, um, for those guys and, um, 
trying to make things happen. Awesome. All right. What are, what are the major things that go into planning a tour for an artist? Yeah. So, I mean, this is all very new to me. Uh, Like I said, the very first tour we were going to do was like a spring tour between different clubs um, that got canceled. And then it's been drive-ins, which has been a completely crazy learning experience. Like I I have to rewire my brain now to like what shows normally are supposed to be because my first experience planning shows was drive-ins which is so weird to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of what goes into it is like, um, you know, there's the contract side of it. Uh, UTA will reach out to me or Jake from UTA will reach out with, um, with basically like an offer from different nightclubs or promoters. And I'll look it over, um, you know, talk over the details of the offer with Eric Asora, um, see if it's like, you know, if it's not like a super great offer, we might uh, try to bump the price up a bit. Um, let's say, for example, we got an offer for a show in Vegas where a bunch of the um, the I don't know how to explain it. the The idea with it is they're like it's it's kind of a medium size offer, but um, they're, they're offering you like a bunch of alcohol basically because it's Vegas. They're like, you get drink tickets, you get a a bottle of whatever of your choice. Um, and you know, the thing is Eric Asora, he doesn't drink like ever. Um, (laughs) so we're like, all right, it's not really worth it, but can, so him and I talked it over and then got back to the promoter and we're basically like, let's scratch the alcohol off completely. And can we bump up the price? of the uh the fee that we're going to get by like a hundred dollars basically and they confirm that so we're throwing um, some buffet tickets instead yeah something like that (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah so just kind of going through the offers um discussing it over with the artist seeing if it's something we're interested in if we have any changes going back to the agent and having him you know discuss with the promoter to try to make the changes we confirm it plug it in the calendar uh buy our plane tickets uh, i've gone to a couple different shows at this point i'm i'm not going to every single one because it's usually not uh financially worth it for me to do that but mm-hmm. um making sure he has his plane tickets purchased and then i also um I do like artist advancing which i had no idea was a thing until i started um doing management and basically you reach out to the promoter um, like a few weeks in advance and you just make sure like you get all kinds of like weird information that you use to plug in on an itinerary. Like what time are the sets? What time is the sound check? Um, are, are there any buyouts or comps for the event? Um, is there Wi-Fi? If so, what's the password? Things like that that I use to then make an itinerary for the artist and then plug it in using like his plane info and all that. And I just make like a full weekend um, like rundown of what he's going to have to do um, for the show, basically. Okay. Sorry, what were um, you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I don't know that all of my listeners are familiar with some of the terms you've used, like buyouts, comps, uh, maybe even can you elaborate a little bit about the distinction between a booking agent and a manager? 
Yeah. So like a booking agent is somebody who already has a lot of connections um, with different promoters and, you know, other kinds of event runners, nightclubs around the country or whatever region they represent. Sometimes you'll have agents who book for like Europe and Asia and then other agents that'll book um, for USA. So like, for example, Asora, his booking agent for the US is Jake Bernstein from UTA. And his manager is me. I do not book the shows. Um, and in fact, I will probably get fired if I attempt to reach out to like a promoter and get them to set up an Asora show. That is not something that is in my job description. Um, that is entirely up to the agent. And of course, as a manager, I'm looking out for my uh, my smaller artists and trying to get them to a stage where an agent might notice them or like potentially, you know, talking to the agents that I have contacts with and um, trying to set them up on something. But my job isn't actually booking the shows. I pretty much work back and forth with the agent to confirm uh, different shows and offers that we get. So I, I don't have, as a manager, really much control over where we're playing or things like that. Um, but I can suggest things to the to the agent. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and then- when it comes to buyouts and things like that, I mean that's that's a world that I'm still kind of new to as well. But um, you know, sometimes they'll uh, they'll buy out like a meal or you know. Things okay. Like, all right. Or comp a buffet or comp comp alcohol or something like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good. Um, you know, the, my, my listeners vary all over the range and uh, experience level. So I, I always like to make sure we explain some of the terminology. So that's, that's awesome. Um, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job as a manager? Oh, goodness. I mean, this is going to sound super cheesy, and I've heard it before a thousand times, but um, the the coolest thing of being a manager is you help make the artist's dreams come true while also kind of making her own dreams come true. I think Han, my boss, was the person who kind of lit that spark in me originally and kind of got me thinking about it in that way. Um, because, you know, when, when I was in high school, I was DJing a lot. Um, I thought that was going to be my thing. You know, I'm going to go to college, learn music production, recording arts, and I'm going to be like a touring DJ. That was my dream. And, um, you know, when I just got to that point that I realized that I, I just couldn't stand, you know, producing music, essentially, like songwriting is fine, but just the whole technical aspect of it is so... Uh, it, it just hurts my brain. Um, yeah. It, when <laughs> okay. I got to that point, yeah. it was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to accomplish my dreams? And I've kind of been able to do that in a way through like setting up what my uh, artists are doing. So for example, it was uh, Asora released a track on monster cat a couple months ago called stay. It was a collab with Tynan and it was one of the coolest moments of my life for me because I had been following monster cat since I think it was early 2013. They were like the first EDM label that really got me interested in dance music. So when 
we got to do the release with them when they like finally confirmed a track because we'd been sending them stuff for ages and just uh, trying to get them to say yes to something. When, when we finally got to do a release, it was like this massive moment that was not only huge for Eric, but um, really huge for me as well. It just felt like a dream come true to be working in the back end of uh, a track that, you know, one of my favorite labels released. So yeah, that's, that's definitely the most rewarding part of it. Uh, for me, I like being able to, weirdly enough, I like the business side of things when it comes to doing music. I feel like it just, uh, comes naturally. And, you know, once you learn the fundamentals of it, it's, um, it's not too complicated. And, um, yeah, it's just been, super cool experience being able to travel to different cities and just watch an artist that I've been, um, nurturing and developing for years now. Um, just be able to kind of perform his heart out and meet all kinds of cool people. Um, yeah. That is awesome. You get to, uh, live a little vicariously without all the studio time. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, what, uh, what is next for you and uh, what's next for your artists this year? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I can't talk too, too much about what's going on. There's a lot of things, a lot of very exciting things that are under the table right now. Um, for example, something that it just felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Uh, Asora has a collab with Subtronics that's releasing tomorrow. Wow! Of course, Subtronics okay. is like a huge, huge name. So we were super yeah. pumped about that. It was something that I wanted to set up since I started working with Ace in um, 2019. So that was a really huge moment. And then, you know, just other collaborations that are going on that I can't quite talk about yet. Um, like I said, we're hoping to get Skybreak on a tour, hopefully this year. We'll see what happens, but, um, and then, you know, I'm just chugging away with management, just, uh, trying to push my clients to the next level. And, um, that's really what it boils down to, I guess. All right. Well, fast, fantastic. Um, so where can, where can people connect with you online? Uh, you can, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm at Landon Flurry on everything. That's L A N D O N F L E U R Y. Uh, and yeah, or you can shoot me an email at Landon at outerloopmanagement.com. Um, I respond most quickly to like messages on Facebook. Um, so it should just be facebook.com slash Landon Flurry. If you want to reach me there, I, I'm always happy to answer questions or listen to music. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, fantastic. I, I really appreciate your time today. Of course. it's It's been fun. Don't get to talk about myself too, too often. So it was a, <laughs> a cool experience. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was a great interview, and I I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for listening. I've got lots of links for you on the show notes page at producerlifepodcast.com. Just look for episode 73. If you enjoyed this episode, please spend a minute leaving a rating and review wherever you're listening. You can also reach out to me on social media platforms at House Ninja Music. Until next week, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. (laughs) 